Good morning, live from Los Angeles. It's Rabbi Eric Sherman, Rabbi on the Sidelines, where we speak about the intersection of sports and faith. This morning, we are joined live with Coach Phil Martelli, Associate Head Coach of the University of Michigan, 34 years at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, six Atlantic 10 titles, three Atlantic 10 championships, an Elite Eight in 2004, where his team went 27 and 0, the 2004 National Coach of the Year, live from Philadelphia in his hometown, Coach Phil Martelli. Coach, it's so great to have you. Oh, thanks, Rabbi. This is uh, this has been really on my calendar and, and a highlight of my calendar since our dear friend Alan Fogel reached out. And I and then when you're talking about Andy Katz and Dan Schulman and and Seth Greenberg and Jim Beheim, I uh, I'd like to interview you to pick out what you picked out from all those different guys. Actually, it's been really amazing because the questions that we talk about in the conversation, actually a couple of weeks ago, Coach Matt Doherty had amazing things to say about his new book, Rebound, From Pain to Passion. It's not about what we do on the court, but rather it's about what happens on the court reflects what we do off the court to make the world that we live in a little better place. And I know you do so, so, so much of that, especially coaches versus cancer. Um, so I want to start first in your journey in Philly. I know you're back home in Philly. Um obviously in Michigan the last couple of years, but you were born and bred there, went to school there, played basketball, Widener, assistant coach at St. Joe's, head coach at St. Joe's. When did you realize that basketball in Philly was something that you wanted to pursue and it was going to be a lifetime dream of yours? Well, uh, the, the Philadelphia piece of that is that when I grew up, I grew up in a row home in Southwest Philadelphia and when you grew up in that row home, you had two identifying uh, features. And one was, where did you go to school? Mm-hmm. And the second thing was, what playground, uh, when it was safer to hang around at playgrounds uh, than unfortunately it is now? Um, you know, so I would say to people, I went to St. Barnabas grade school and Finnegan Playground. And that's the way you always identified yourself. Uh, throughout Philadelphia. So uh, my family moved to Delaware County right outside of Philadelphia. And I was, to be honest with you, I was a playground rat. When it was baseball, I played baseball. When it was football, I played football. And we didn't really know in our group, like the fifth and sixth and seventh grade, we didn't know like when you had to sneak into a gym to play basketball. We waited until the rec center had a gym available, and, and uh, that's how I played until the sixth grade. And then when I moved to Delaware County, I, what you just said about the game and, and what it gives to us and then what we're responsible to give to others, uh, it resonated with me. I met three guys. One was a postman, John Steele. One was a local politician, Pete O'Keefe. And, and the other guy, Tom Gallagher, uh, worked at a bank. And they were the grade school coaches. And we were fortunate enough to have a gym, and we had good players, and we practiced a lot, and we played basketball a lot. And I got bit by this game um, probably at the age of 12. And I thought the magic in the game was you could take all of these diverse uh, young guys – and they could re- 
pursue a common goal. The other thing, Rabbi, that came up to me was, well, when you, you got good at your playground, you went somewhere else to find out, well, what were those guys like? Mm-hmm. And if you th- and if you think about it, like, it really was socialization. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that basketball is the greatest social experiment because it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. doesn't right. matter if you're Jewish or Catholic. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're in L.A. or media. doesn't mean it matter if you're male or female. If you can pass, dribble, shoot, share the ball, and compete, you can play this game three on three. You mm-hmm. can play five on five. You can play in the forum. You can play in the Staples Center. You can play in the Palestra. But the game, the beauty of the game is that it did not discriminate. didn't matter. And, and, and I got that at this age, and I thought, well, I'm not going to be good enough to play at the highest level. But if I can study this game and I can impact one person because of my coaching, then, man, I, I feel good about that. So take us through Philadelphia and the Big Five. For those, uh, I know there's a lot of Philadelphia audience watching. There's actually lots of Michigan uh, people out here in L.A. that love what you're doing there. And there's lots of Philly people as well, including my own family. The Big Five, Nova, LaSalle, St. Joe's, Penn, Temple. Take us through that aspect in terms of what you just said and building those relationships. I mean, your best friends were Fran Dunphy from Penn and Temple, John Cheney but you're killing each other on the court. How does that relationship look like off the court and then translate to what you do on the court as well? Uh, that I always, I always felt that coaching in the big five was what many of us have done growing up. You start by competing in your family and, and, and even in, in, in a, in a, a small way, a, maybe a silly way, You would compete your report card against your sister's report card, your brother's report card. And now then you went out on the street and the people that lived on your street and you said, well, I'm better in stickball than that guy. And you, you build this thing all the way up and to, to then get into the big five and have that opportunity where you're representing, you're representing more than your school because you know that there's an office building where they're going to have coffee the next day. And there's going to be, a, there's going to be a graduate of Villanova and he's going to have a lot to say about the St. Joe game. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody from St. Joe's that's going to have a lot to say with the temple game. It may not be temple St. Joe's. It might be temple Louisville, but they're going to have a comment. Uh, but they're going to be very parochial. They're going to be into their school. They're going to root for their school. And uh, Rabbi, I don't know where you were at the time, but I can remember these great runs recently by Jay Wright and people saying, well, should we root for them? Well, I'll raise my hand and say I rooted for them because Jay Wright was a camper on a camp team that I coached when he was in the ninth grade. So Uh we've been friends for a long time. That was my friend. Nice. Uh, And I always believe this. I believe that the competition in the, in the big five, you wanted to out recruit. You wanted to out coach. You wanted to win your game. You wanted to out promote because as you well know, in Philadelphia, there's a pecking order. It's the Eagles first, it's the Eagles second, it's the Eagles third. And then it's the Phillies when they have it going. 
right? And so you're fighting to to get your program and your school noticed in uh-huh. a program. Uh-huh. And so I would always say that. Like I always wanted, I, I always wanted to be the guy that was known that I had the best camps. Right. Or I recruited the uh, uh, I recruited the best in the public league. Um, even my TV show, I wanted to have a TV show that was different. Uh, uh, I wanted to be the be- the I wanted to be the go to guy if somebody needed a speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 saying all that when you would fight and you would scratch and you would claw with each other. When the time came and the community needed us, yeah, we were bound on that. So you you mentioned coaches versus cancer, but there were yeah. there were a lot of initiatives. Uh, there were a lot of initiatives when it was what was best for the city and what mm-hmm. was best for basketball in the city. The coaches were we we were locked together. Yeah, it's not just the the city of Philadelphia, but as I mentioned before, I was at the roast when you came up to Rochester to roast Beheim, and it's funny. Last week, Beheim said, "Well, we're the only show in town here, right?" <laughs> in Philly, as you just said, it's Eagles, 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 some Phillies, maybe some Sixers, and then all of a sudden, the rest of you. And now you're at Michigan, right? A small school in a big pond, and now Michigan, a big school in a small pond. I believe you were quoted that said, you know, a 40 person staff meeting now turned into a 400 person. What's that like now in Michigan with Coach Howard coming back and really being that uh, that big fish in, in, in a small in a in a smaller city, if you wish, but being the only show in town? How's that transition been for you? Um, you know, I, I have to answer this. I don't know how the transition's been, and I only say that because I went in June of 19. Mm-hmm. And uh, on March one, we were shut down. Right, right. And basically, it was like, okay, go home. Mm-hmm. And I was home for four months, and then we came back, and no fans, right? Nobody coming into practice. Really, Rabbi, nowhere to go at night. Like, I, I, I honestly believed that coach your team, recruit your future teams but be a face and a voice for your university where the three prongs of the, of the job. So when I was, it was very rare that I would go home after I'm not talking about hanging out, but I would stop. And if somebody thought I could help visit at a hospital, I wanted to do that. If I could stop at a school and uh, watch a practice, or if I could stop at a school and talk to the PTA, whatever it was that, I could lift up the community. So my first experience in Michigan was that's it. Practice is over. I'm going to make a couple of recruiting calls and I'm going to go home. Mm-hmm. My family stayed in Philadelphia. Right. And I went home and I'm not a TV watcher. I love the newspapers. I get the Philadelphia newspapers delivered. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Two weeks after, after yeah. the fact. <laughs> uh, and I was really hoping that this year, if it was a normal year, that I would get out and about and be in the community. Mm-hmm. So now with you know, all things being equal, we're hoping that we're, we have some normal behaviors. I'm hoping that I can get involved in the community because I, I, I consider it to have these jobs, to be able to coach basketball mm-hmm. is a blessing. Uh, 
but to have the opportunity to give back and touch one person, one person uh, is, I, I believe it's, it's in the job description. And I don't think enough coaches read the job description closely wow. as they should. No, I absolutely love that. And I want to go actually to the topic of mental health for a moment. I found a video and one of your former players, Delonte West, who obviously was just part of that team with Jameer Nelson, seven years in the NBA. He fell into a hole of mental health, depression, and literally on the streets. I'm going to just play this video for a moment and chat about how you reached out to help him. Second have reacted after seeing the video of him being beaten. I'm Kaylee Chris, 10 to 3 weekdays on Mix 94.1. A video of the former Cleveland Cavalier went viral earlier this week of him being attacked, yelling incoherently, and being handcuffed in Washington, D.C. Both his former coach Phil Martelli and teammate Jameer Nelson have reached out to Delonte with support. Jameer says he's been in contact with Delonte recently, and the video made him sick to his stomach. He tweeted out support and asked people for understanding. Coach Martelli reposted the tweet and shared his own thoughts. He said there are people from his basketball network reaching out to help Delonte get the help he needs. Delonte's agent confirmed the video was of him and that he's recovering from the attack. When something like that happens at the top of the game in basketball, and then you see something like that happen to one of your players, when you reach out, what do you do? And how do you begin to bring somebody back like that? Um, still tough. Um, when it, every player that I've ever recruited, I asked them to join me and to be a partner, but I would be with them for life. And I wanted to be there to celebrate their highest of highs, a new job, a wedding, the birth of a child. But I also wanted them to know, and I mean this Today, as much as I've meant it to any player that I've talked to, I want to be there in those hard times. Mm-hmm. I want to be there, uh, the loss of a job, the loss of possessions, um, the loss of a loved one. And so when all of this has transpired with Delante, I, I haven't gone back on my word. And I'm not looking to be applauded for that. Right. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's what I – asked you to agree to. So just tell me. And, and I think the hardest thing with, with mental health in Delonte's case, or was ever, I don't know the answers. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any magic words. Uh, and I, and I, you know, speaking for Jameer in the same way, like we didn't have a pocket pocket full of money that could change everything. Right. Uh, but it sounds simplistic, but basically Delonte knows um, we haven't changed our phone numbers. Love we it. haven't changed our hearts. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rabbi, this, this this mental health and all that these young guys prior to the pandemic, all the adulation and all the attention and, and, and all the social media rumors that they deal with, I, I think it's really daunting. Uh not just for a basketball player, but for a young kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, look, we stand with him. Uh, you know, we stand with him, and uh, 
you know, I, I don't want to get into a whole lot of it. Uh, no, it, no, is, no. it is personal, but uh, uh, jump on board. So we we're we're on Beautiful. there the ride Beautiful. with him, and uh, and uh, the 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 phone's always on. Love it, no, on. absolutely. So I want to talk about a little bit about faith and being at St. Joe's, um, the Catholic University, right? You have a priest on the bench, a uh, good friend of yours, Joe Lenardi, was on a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "Ask coach this question." He said, one time there was a priest that received a technical foul based on maybe some language, and the ref couldn't call it on the priest, so they called it on the trainer. <laughs> what was that all about? Well, uh, look, I, I believe that everybody is in. A everybody is in. So it, it's there's no one working for me. So obviously the, there was not a, a priest working for me to get the message above, like, hey, we need some help in this game. Mm -hmm. uh, the trainer doesn't work for me. Uh, the strength and conditioning people work with you. Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we had a situation where referee had was a bit of a rabbit ear kind of guy, and uh, he wasn't going to take it. And I, probably I, I, uh, I added to the guys, like, kind of angst with our – bench and I'll never forget he looked over and he gave the technical foul and he pointed at the trainer who never said a word <laughs> never never said a word to, uh, to the referees but uh, I thought later you know what he just didn't want, he couldn't do it he couldn't he didn't want that mark against him later in life to say you're the guy that got the gave a technical foul to a priest so what was the priest role in a University like St. Joe's, what is the faith aspect in between the either the priest and the coach, the priest and the players, the players and the coach? What does that all look like when you have a religious figure within a sports community? Well, I, I think it indicated to people it indicated to people that 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 we were a Catholic institution, that we were a Jesuit institution, uh, and. I can only tell you that the priests that I had, um, they were confidants. Nice. Uh, th there are often times, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way. There are often times when assistant coaches are, are in there, they have a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can only share this with you. Uh, my routine was I did not like, I don't like warmups in basketball. I don't like going out there because I think sometimes players are warming up for the people to watch them rather than to really prepare for a game. So I would sit in the locker room and the only person that sat in there with me was our chaplain. Oh, wow. And, and we would talk about, we might talk about things that were going on in the world. We, we might talk about, um, we, we might talk about the setting that we were in. Hey, the, the VCU, the Siegel center, uh, but we wouldn't talk about the game. It wasn't, hey, do you think we should play zone tonight? It was. Bayheim doesn't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of, uh, just to relieve the, the, the tension that that I would have, and um, you know, the the priest that I had uh, for my children's weddings, all three of them have been on the altar, so oh, they wow. were more than just 
part of the program. They were really part of, part of my family. Um, but I relied on them. I really did. I, I relied on them. And you mentioned Joe Lenardi. There were times when Joe Lenardi would take that role and it, it was just to have a conversation to take the little, that edge that all of us feel, mm-hmm. uh, you know what? I don't want this to be an average podcast. I want this to be great. Right. I, I, I don't want this to be an average game. I want this to be great. Right. Um, so it, it meant a great deal to me and all of them, all of them um, were friends before they were work associates. And now switch over to University of Michigan, where it's a public university. Are there aspects of faith that you see within that program, not perhaps as visible as a priest on the bench as part of the family? What does that look like? And if not, do you think that piece is perhaps sometimes missing in larger public programs? Well, I I don't know about all larger public programs, uh, but but I've I've always thought this. If when I was coaching, when I was interacting with people, I wasn't trying to convert them to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to convert them into, uh, uh, well, follow my thinking in the religious world. What I was hoping to be was an example. And that's the same thing at Michigan. I just want to be an example of if somebody wants to label it as a good person, as a caring person, then that's what I wanted for all of our players, our managers, our support staff. Um, and I think that, that Michigan and St. Joseph's are similar in this ways. It's always bigger than, it's always something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. Something bigger than a game. And it's something bigger than your program. There's always something going on. And if I could just divert for a second, that's why I was so proud of college basketball uh, in September, October, and November. Mm-hmm. The drive to get kids registered to vote. Nice. However they were going to vote. That was, that was, that was in a way, a faith experiment. Mm-hmm. because they had to become knowledgeable. They had to become aware. They had to become active. Isn't that what we all want in our faith? Love it. Knowledgeable, aware, and active. That makes for, you know what, just this much, a little bit better person. Absolutely. No, it was wonderful to see that. And sports, uh, as you said, social media being sometimes a detriment, but in this case, sports really being a time where they can, help each other as well. You spoke about when you go to a university, really with St. Joe's, that you said it wasn't just basketball, it was the family way. Uh, You have a little guy, a grandson, that loves basketball as well. So uh, let's see if this video works, and we'll talk about this little guy. Telly, 19 years as the head coach, on the left. Look at him with his arms folded. His grandchild, four-year-old Philip. Stephen Martelli, he imitates his granddad. He's even got his uh, grease board, and he's he's four years old. Oh, he's dressed in a coat and tie. Okay, my work is done. <laughs> I think he's got. Tell us about him and that connection and that love for you, the love for basketball, and as you keep saying, right, it's a family way. It's a. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, he's 11. He lives in uh, Cranston, Rhode Island, and he has put away his grease board and put away his pen and put away his clothes. And now he's a player. Uh, nice. And, and, uh, <laughs> ironically, my wife and I are going there this weekend. Uh, his sister who is, uh, seven is receiving her first communion. That's so beautiful. He has, he has an AAU game at eight o'clock Saturday morning and seven 30 Sunday morning. And I said to him, uh, you know, if, if your parents are going to be okay with it, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the game and then we'll go to church. And then Sunday we'll do the same thing. We'll go to the game in the morning and then go to church. And, um, uh, that, that was, um, his DNA, his father is an assistant coach at Bryan right. University. His uncle is an assistant coach at Post College in Connecticut. His uncle, my son, is assistant coach at VCU. His grandfather is a legendary high school coach in Connecticut. Uh, his mother played for a Division Three basketball championship at Eastern Connecticut. Wow. His grandmother, my wife, her team's from Immaculata College. They're in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yep. Uh, it goes on and on and on. And I didn't even know a lot of that was going on. Like, it, the first time we went through it, I, I didn't know that he got <laughs> dressed like that. And uh, I, have a, I have a routine on game day. I lay my clothes out. I say my prayers. I, I do all these things. And he would watch. And I wow. didn't know this, but but when he would come home from preschool, he would be doing the same things on those particular days. And uh, look, coaches take themselves way too serious, right? Like we all not like, you though. That's what I love about what you do. I've seen you in person, <laughs> the humor. I I love it, and I think it's a such a wonderful model for sports and for you. That and it's we got we got to do it more that way. Yeah. So I I appreciate that, and and. Um, Look, I take what I do serious, but I don't take myself serious. Um, Mm -hmm. And to to have that joy, and I can remember that bus ride coming home, and we we had won an Atlantic 10 championship, and uh, somebody said to me, hey, hey, your grandson was the star of the show. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) And they described to me the scene. uh, And his father at Delaware had won a championship. He had been at that championship earlier in the week, but now he's spending time. And um, look, I, I think in whatever we do, if we can touch children, but we can also learn from children, like the pure joy that he got from being around. Uh, I felt the same way at my camps, Rabbi. Like I, I, I wanted, I wanted those kids to have joy about the game. I wanted them to to have the joy of being together. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to say, you know what, this isn't a this isn't a guy that we have to put up on some pedestal and, and be unapproachable. And, right. Um, no, I think that's really, really crucial, both in the faith and the sports aspect. I mean, going through this process of, you know, starting this type of video podcast and reaching out to people, not in my profession, but a, a world that I do love. If I wasn't doing this, I'd probably do something in that in that world. Um, and the ability for people to say, yes, I want to speak about what I do in a serious way, but also uh, make a difference as well. I want to go to coaches versus cancer for a moment and speaking about specifically the uh, suits and sneakers that you said that you got involved uh, 
I just quote you as an egotistical way to basically be the first on the map. But you said after that, you met kids, families, business associates, and more. And you use these two words very, very seriously. I want to crush cancer. Just want to watch this video for a second, and we'll talk about coaches versus cancer. Hi, I'm Phil Martelli from St. Joseph's University Hawks. Coaches versus cancer to me is an opportunity to give back to a community, a basketball community, and the Philadelphia community in general that has given so much to my family and I. What I would like to take from Coaches versus Cancer is all the courage, all the heroes, not just those who have battled, but their families, their friends, their business associates. We haven't done enough until we can read our newspapers and the words cancer-free are the headline. We have to crush cancer. Cancer takes no days off and is not discriminatory in any way, shape, or form. So to be involved in Coaches versus Cancer is an honor, but it's a responsibility. So I spent many summers actually with my brother and family at CHOP, and I've been on those boards that you and your players have been, and that's the job, it's to crush cancer. Take us through what that has meant to you. 12 years at the helm of the NABC and Coaches versus Cancer doing that important work. What's that been like and how's it made well, a difference? I, I, um, I go back to this idea, like coach, recruit, but, but what are you doing? What are you really doing to make a difference? And so when we started in Philadelphia, we, we came from nowhere. We, we had – we had not one of the six schools in Philadelphia were raising any money at all in the three point challenge. Mm. And uh, when I, I got engaged, and that's the reason I used the egotistical thing. Like I got in, involved in it and I was saying like, well, how could Jim Beheim and Syracuse raise all this money? Not, not thinking about impact all these lives. I was thinking about raising this money and making sure that, that Philadelphia basketball got on that top line. Mm-hmm. And when we got in the, into it and, and we ran a golf tournament and, and we had a breakfast on select the day after selection Sunday and our wives created a gala. And then we looked around and said, what else can you do? Well, you know what, Rabbi, there, there's, there's 800 high schools in a circle around Philadelphia. How, how do we go to those young kids? And then how do they go to their junior high kids just to make a difference? And it's not about raising a million dollars or, or writing a check for a hundred thousand dollars. It's, it's a dollar. It's a selling a pencil at lunchtime mm-hmm. and, and putting that. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to make the quality of life for one family, for one patient, for one business associate, just make their, have a quality of life that's a little bit better for one day. And then, we, that. and then we can go to the next day. And then we could go to the next family. But, but and I mean this, and, and I've heard people, and, and you've heard them, right? They, they make these great testimonies about, I beat cancer. Yeah, but that's not enough. It's not, and I'm not knocking anybody. Yeah, but we, we have to crush it. Cancer is straight up a bully. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's the bully in every schoolyard all over this country, and it's been around forever. So how do you how do you beat a bully? You walk up to the bully, punch it right in the square in his head. And then what does a bully do? It runs. So mm-hmm. it sounds simplistic, 
but that's why I, I I'm into crushing cancer mm-hmm. and, and, and it, and when it happens, it's going to be because of all those families that I've met. And so actually I, I run a basketball camp here. Um, so called Sinai temple basketball camp. We have about a hundred kids right now. We're at 50 because of capacity. Last week we sold out our registration in 10 minutes, but each we call it high level basketball, high level values. And publicly, I'm going to say right now, our project is going to be this summer, Coaches versus Cancer. And we look forward to uh, contributing that dollar, that pencil, that quality of life to, uh, to Coaches versus Cancer and getting the word out here in L.A. as well. So uh, that's, that's important to us. It's beautiful. I want to go to the NABC. You just won an award. Um, the Guardians of the Game. And I quote, Phil is the real deal. He cares deeply for people, especially student athletes and coaches. Very passionate about the game. And as part of that uh, bio, you were head of the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Ethics Coalition, right? We talk, there's a lot of, about college basketball and sports and corruption and everything like that. What comes to you as the head of the Ethics Coalition and how do you improve the game and the college lifestyle and the quality of life through that role as well? Well, the, the, one of the things that has grown over time and it's a positive is that the relationship between the NCAA and the NABC uh, has uh, been fostered, has been, has been um, groomed that we are in this together. That wasn't the way when I started in this game 30 years ago, it was the coaches are over here doing their thing and the NCAA is over here. And now we're here Uh, in in the goal of, yes, the game, because the game is about these student athletes, uh, but also coaches. I mean, and and many times the NABC has taken off on on these ideas of the guardians of the game, and that's what that award became, the guardians of the game. And no matter whether you're coaching at the synagogue or you're coaching uh, at the Final Four, if you're coaching in a high school, if you're coaching in a rec league, you're not coaching first. You're teaching first. Love it. Yeah. And I think that it, that if 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 we can get coaches at all levels to come together as teachers, teachers of the game. What game? The game of life. Mm-hmm. The game of basketball. And if it's a baseball, then then you're teaching baseball. But first and foremost, you're teaching the game of life and and. There have been a earlier in my career, very early in my career, there were a lot of times where you think, why is there friction with this coaching staff and that coaching staff? And and, and people making, you know, false accusations behind closed doors. And so one of the goals of the NABC and the Ethics Coalition and the and combining with the NCAA was let's let's take this profession and and, and be teachers. And let's hold each other to a high standard, but also allow others to look at us and say, you know what? I'm comfortable with how, how they're doing things. And, mm-hmm. and where we are today doesn't compare to where we were when I started this game. Yes. But, yes. but uh, and Jim Bayheim was one of the people that I approached and said, you know what? I'd like to get involved at a higher level in terms of, the profession, uh, and uh, that has been a real, a real plus in my career to be a part of 
uh, growing the profession and growing the respect for the profession. So I have a mundane question from a good friend of ours, Sammy Lawrence at University of Michigan. Coach, do you have an order at Zingerman's? <laughs> you know, uh, don't tell anybody, uh, <laughs> but I, I've only uh, – I've only had Zingerman's twice and uh, it uh, their roast Turkey was, it was, it was unbelievable. And uh, we have a young lady uh, who was our head manager. Uh, she's graduating Saturday. And uh, even though I'm in Philadelphia, she invited me to her, to her uh, socially distanced graduation party. It's being catered by Zingerman. So <laughs> I'm going to miss that, but I, I might ask her to just, uh, there has to be a way for them to send me a sandwich here in Philadelphia. Well, that's funny that you say that because I'm coming to Philly next week and the first stop is at Famous and 4th Street for a lox and bagel. So <laughs> I totally hear you. Um, a couple more questions from our uh, audience here. What did you learn most from Coach Cheney? Oh, uh, that uh in this game you can get caught up in in um uh, you know what people say about you you know great coach hall of fame coach uh in his case not mine but um i i was so enamored and so thankful to watch john cheney turn around he looked around for the next man and he extended his hand and uh you know, whether it was the guy selling pretzels outside the palestra, uh, whether it was um, the security guard mm. at the Leacor Center, uh, John had a way of, of making sure that the, not the downtrodden, but the, the person out of the spotlight, that they had a moment in time to have the spotlight shined on him. Uh, extraordinary just an extraordinary guy. And uh, like what people saw on the sideline in mm -hmm. terms of the passion, that's the way he lived every minute of his life. He was passionate about shopping. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I think that I think with John Cheney, it would be uh, don't let your light dim. Oh, I love that. Don't let your light dim coach John Cheney. Wow. Um, and then Michigan, this coming year, what a year you guys had. I know an injury towards the end of the year, um, an amazing run this 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 uh, past year. Working with Coach Juwan Howard, you got a chance to stand up from the bench uh, during that interesting uh, little, I don't call it a scuffle, but a fun incident, and you were back on the sidelines. What do you see with the Big Blue uh, going up, coming up this year? And second part, how about us UCLA Bruins out here? Wow. Uh, give us a prediction. What's wow. going on here with Coach wow. Cronin? Well, uh, obviously, uh, UCLA, they have to, they have to see how, uh, uh, Johnny, whether he comes back to school or he, he takes the run that he had in the, in the tournament, uh, their, their physical presence defensively is astounding. And it's been added to the young man that they, that is coming there, uh, from Rutgers is an elite, elite, uh, shot blocker. And uh, so he will certainly add, and I hope they have more health. I, really, I hope that, that they're they're a healthier team than they were uh, last year, and that's 
talking about a Final Four team that played, you know, a game that will go down in history as one of the oh, great, yes. one one of the great Final Four games. Uh, for us at Michigan, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be how quickly we can get our young 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 team uh, to to eat solid food, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are going to have because of the additional year being given to everybody, we're going to have 11 freshmen. Now, wow. one of those is Hunter Dickinson, but 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 technically, eligibility-wise, he's a freshman along with Terrence Williams and, and Zeb Jackson. So, uh, you know, again, if you want to if you want to get caught in this in the the social media world and we have the number one recruiting class, yeah, but they're they're young guys, uh, young kids in, in a man's league, the, the mm. big ten. Uh, but welcoming fans back will be exciting. Yes. Yes, I went to my first baseball game yesterday with my kids. Wow. And it was amazing to hear somebody cheer when something happens on the court or on the field. So I'm 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 very very optimistic, and uh, uh, you know you used it earlier. Juwan Howard is the real deal, and uh, I want to go 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 and serve, and I want to go and learn because uh, I think every day that every day that you can teach and every day that you can learn, I think that's a great day. Well, that, in fact, actually, we have uh, Sonny Spira, former Syracuse alumni. Love Coach Martelli. Heard about many coaches' clinics. Tons of knowledge and great style. I think what you said, in fact, is exactly what we do here on this podcast as we conclude today. When you said to learn and to teach every single day before we say the declaration of our faith, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We say these two words in Hebrew, Lil Mod Ulilamed, that our job is to learn and to teach. Coach, that's exactly what you do at St. Joe's University, University of Michigan, more importantly, off the court for the amazing, as you said, affecting the quality of children's life and adults' life, one life at a time, one moment at a time. We want to give a big shout out to Coach Martelli, but most importantly to Alan Fogel, our good friend who has connected us. Coach, when you're out in LA, we hope you visit us at Sinai Temple. And I hope to see you uh, at the pretzel shop next week when I get to see my parents for the first time in over a year in Philadelphia as well. Coach, it's wonderful to have you. Good luck, and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Everybody out there, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you.